Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning, and today my guest is Rebecca Lisak, who is a an Alexander Technique teacher and a certified advanced rolfer in uh, Philadelphia, and she's been working in in uh, well, she's been an Alexander Technique teacher for twelve years and a rolfer for six. And she also has a uh, background in performance, particularly music, theater, and movement. She works with um, artists, athletes, um, and I think just people in general. Uh, Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thanks, Robert. I'm happy to be here. Rebecca, could you um, begin by giving our listeners, uh, to start with, a very short kind of elevator uh, description of the conver- of the um, Alexander Technique? Sure. Um, I would describe Alexander Technique um, as looking at how you do what you do. Mm-hmm. So it's about process, really. Right. Uh, we're teach- we're, as teachers, we're interested in how you perform activities, not so much what those activities are. Would that be fair to say? That would be fair, yes. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, how would you describe or define rolfing? So rolfing is a system designed to help bring a person's structure into balance with respect to the pull of gravity. So rolfers work both with um, manual manipulation to help lengthen structures that are too short in the body, and we work with movement education to help um, work with the person's habitual um, imbalances um, in how they are performing their movements. Right? And we're also working to help if there are muscles in the body that are not doing their appropriate job to bring them online. Mm-hmm. Now, th- those, and I know that Rolfing kind of has a reputation of being, um, oh, I don't know what the term is, fairly aggressive in terms of pressure and so on. I'm sure it's not as much as it used to be, but it does at first glance seem to be a kind of a very different process from the Alexander Technique, which is mostly verbal instructions and very light hands-on guidance. How, how, how do you relate those, the two fields? Well, I think that Rolfing did get started as a very aggressive kind of treatment. Um, as we have gotten a better understanding of what fascia is and actually how we create a lasting change in fascia, um, we've discovered that those ideas about if you apply enough pressure, it gets more pliable aren't really quite true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. Yes. So would would you describe, for example, if someone came to you for rolfing, <clears throat> would they be getting the amount of hands-on pressure comparable with a typical massage, would you say? Would that be a way to gauge it? My um, depth of touch varies from person to person and from place to place on a person. So I might be using a very light touch and I might be using a, a, a fair amount of pressure. Um, the idea is to contact the layer of restriction in the person's body to help their nervous system become aware that, hey, there's something stuck or not moving here. Mm-hmm. 
And do you see rolfing and the Alexander technique as complementary processes? Would that be your general take on it? One is good for certain things, the other good for other things? Or how, how would you relate the two? I use them both every day in practice. And at times I'm... At times, it would be hard for me to differentiate which I'm actually using. Um, There are aspects of the Alexander Technique that have always spoken to me from the time when I was a student, um, that when I was just an Alexander teacher were the parts of the technique that seemed to be the most effective. Um, And in the Rolfing movement work, there's a lot of overlap between these, these ideas. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you you were an Alexander teacher for quite a few years before you became a Rolfer. Yes. So, I'm I'm imagining there was something that the Alexander technique couldn't do or couldn't do in any kind of a reasonable time frame that uh, something like Rolfing can help people with more effectively. Is would that be a way of looking at it? That was exactly what I was finding, Robert. I would have people come in for lessons in the Alexander Technique who were injured or who were telling me that their physician was encouraging them to get a hip replacement and they wanted me to show them how to move better so they wouldn't need their hip replacement. You know, And so I started realizing that the process of change through the Alexander technique can be very slow, especially when one already has tissue damage. So I was looking for a way to help a person feel changes happening more quickly so that they were more encouraged Mm -hmm. to continue using Alexander principles. (laughs) Right. And so when you, when a, when a new student or a new client comes to your office Do you have um, a sort of a pattern of working with people? Would you start with one or the other of those two? Or is it based on the particular person and their, what they, what they've come for? It is often based on the, the individual coming in and what they're looking for and you know, as I'm talking with them and seeing them move, um, often I will use Alexander work and talking and using a very light touch to getting the person to move as easily as they possibly can in doing simple assessments, seeing them walk across the room, seeing them pick up an object or raise their arm. And that will guide me as to where I need to do tissue work to help those movements be even freer. Right, and in 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 the the Alexander technique, uh, a collection of of jargon, uh, there are a couple. There are con- there's a concept called use, which really means how you how you use your physical mechanism. But there's sort of two subdivisions: a manner of use and conditions of use. And it sounds to me a manner of use is is how you're directing yourself and conditions of use being what is the baseline situation with you. And it seems to me as though you're you're beginning by seeing how how can they direct if they are directing themselves with Alexander intent how well can they move and if it's still not all that well and it looks like it's going to take several uh, lifetimes of Alexander lessons to make a big change in that you might go into rolfing mode somewhat 
Sure. Would, would that be? Would, I mean, I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds a little like that might be the, the, the way you assess the situation. Yes. Because I imagine there are some people who come to you and would probably, uh, you could probably get help them with whatever they wanted help with, with just Alexander. And I imagine there's some people who just aren't, um, perhaps because of their pain level or whatever, just not in a position to self-direct very efficiently. Uh, and something like Rolfing might be the first intervention. Right. Is that is that kind of match your your clinical experience or one your thing I really. Experience? Yes, one thing I really appreciate about the two modalities is I have a lot of people come through my door that say, I don't want to think about how my body moves. I'm too busy. I just want you to, you know, help get me out of pain. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I, I smile to myself a little bit and I invite them to lie down on the table and I'll do some tissue work and then I'll say, hey, notice when you direct these kinds of thoughts through your body, what happens in this area where you have pain? Mm -hmm, and if mm -hmm. you think these other kinds of thoughts, what happens to the area you have pain? So they, they tend to get drawn into being interested in how they use themselves, even though they came in proclaiming they did not want to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's You sneak, you sneak the Alexander <laughs> up on them. Um, the kind of uh, distinction between uh, Rolfing and, and Alexander work uh, is a little reminiscent to me between, r reminds me of conversations I've had with people who are Alexander teachers and Pilates instructors or Alexander teachers and physical therapists. Um, the same kind of distinction that the that there are certain there's certain patterns that are so deeply um, or so strongly held that it, it really makes a lot more sense to um, get at them in the way you, you do with, say, the, the raw thing, using your hands to, uh, I suppose you could call it break up fascial imbalances or restrictions, that kind of thing. Sure. Um, do, would you, so how would you uh, compare rolfing as a, let's say, a more aggressive modality than the Alexander technique with things like Pilates and, and physical therapy? Can you say that again, please? Oh, how, how would you compare rolfing with things like Pilates or physical therapy, which tend to be mostly having you do things, uh, exercises of some sort. I certainly have a lot of clients who come in who are engaged in a process of physical therapy or who um, do practice Pilates. Mm -hmm. And I am very interested it, from an Alexander and a Rolfing perspective with how they're doing, whatever the exercises that they choose to do in their life or that their other therapists are asking them to do mm -hmm. with a, a, a greater sense of wholeness and how their system is orienting in the gravity field. So, um, Rebecca, is there anything that we haven't talked about concerning the overlap or parallels or differences between the Alexander technique and Rolfing? Well, you know, as I said, I find them often 
indistinguishable and how I'm using them in my practice. Um, The thing that I've always found so juicy and interesting about the Alexander technique is the idea of Alexander's critical moment, like the moment before you begin your intended action. Mm -hmm. And rolfers have their own jargon for talking about this. They call it the anticipatory postural action. Mm -hmm. Um, The acronym would be APA. We also call it Mm pre-movement. And Rolfers approach pre-movement in, off, in a lot of the same way that Alexander teachers do, in that that pre-movement is the only opportunity you have to change the movement that's going to happen afterwards. Because mm-hmm. once those little neurons are fired, the movement's going to happen, right? Right. Or, or at least at some level. So it sounds like that, that um, what, what was the name again, pre Pre movement. Pre movement. It sounds exactly like um, the the what Alexander observed using the mirrors all those years ago, that he would uh, tense his neck just with the thought of speaking. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Right. And so, and how do Rolfers deal with that? So we are looking at how the body is organized along a vertical axis. Mm -hmm. So we are looking at both. How is the person able to reach and extend up into space and sky? And how is the person able to connect down into the ground? So we're looking to have both of these orientations, you know, in balance as we go into activity. Mm -hmm. And so... Do you, for example, would observe someone perhaps standing and watch how that relationship you just described changes when they just think about walking, that kind of thing? Absolutely. Or lifting an object or whatever, some activity, that an add-on activity to standing or, or possibly sitting in a chair and thinking about standing up, but not actually standing up? Correct. Mm-hmm. Well, th- yeah, that's very um, very similar to Alex- an Alexander kind of approach to things, although I think Alexander teachers would probably phrase it more in terms, would be particularly interested in the, what happens to the person's head-neck relationship uh, at that critical moment. Right. But and, it know, comes to the same thing because the head neck uh, distortion of the head neck relationship it creates an immediate distortion everywhere else in their body. Certainly. Yeah. And as as a person who's you know Alexander his natural inclination was more towards an up direction. When you look at a picture of Alexander he is just moving up into space. He's you know he he moves like Fred Astaire. Mhm. No. Um, I think a lot of people who tend towards Alexander Technique like to move in that kind of spatially oriented direction. Mm -hmm. Um, So the thing that I really learned from Alexander was how to yield, how to reach, how to let myself be more floaty. Mm -hmm. The thing that I learned from looking at the other direction, like how I connect into the ground at the same time, is what taught me how how to find grounding and how to push you know, how to stabilize my structure so that I could push in a way where my neck didn't tighten. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And um, it's probably a fair criticism to say of Alexander teachers that, w- that we tend maybe not to be as interested in the lower half of our bodies as, say, 
oh, for example, Feldenkrais teachers might be. Is, right. You know, that I know they they sometimes say, well, Alexander teachers are all in their heads and necks, but they've left their pelvis somewhere else, right. which of course is not really true. But there are elements of that. I think I think there are elements of that. Yeah. So so um it was a, it it was that other aspect that what we I guess we could call a grounding ability to ground ourselves that drew you to Rolfing after experiencing Alexander. I think one of the things that I always, you know, criticized myself about is that I wasn't good enough at freeing my neck so my head could go forward and up. And Mm -hmm. I saw my students in my classes and my private students kind of struggling with the same thing. Um, And I think um, David Gorman was the one who finally gave me the words for this, that I wasn't tightening my neck. My neck was tight, but that wasn't what I was going about doing. It was something else that I was doing that was causing my neck to be tight. Well, yeah, and that—that's yeah, that's very interesting because, as as you as um, as you know, and many of our listeners will know, uh, Alexander, uh, when he talked about the head neck upper torso relationship, he labeled that primary control. The idea being that how you manage the weight of your head on top of your your spine affects everything else in your body for good or for bad. And that that was and and there's a kind of a sense I think in Alexander work that that's the key to the whole the whole thing, but you're what you're suggesting is that there may be other forces at work that in a sense control that a bit, yeah. Well, we have this constant pull of gravity on our bodies. Mm-hmm. And if I stand in a way where my weight is further back on my heels or my weight is too far forward on the balls of my feet, Mm -hmm. that is going to have a cascading tension up through my body that Mm -hmm. is going to involve my neck being tight Mm -hmm. so that I don't fall over. Right. And so uh, the Alexander, I I guess the kind of classic Alexander response would be, well, if you if you stop tightening your neck, that will bring you more into alignment with gravity and so on and so forth. And that's all true. But those pulls that have pulled you back on heels of your feet or onto the toes of your feet are often really, really strong. And yeah, you know, uh, Alexander work will help, but as we, we talked about earlier, it might require a, a more than one lifetime to to resolve it. Right. And yeah. we all come to, you know, we all come to life with an inbuilt preference. Mm-hmm. You know, we also, we have the FM Alexanders and the Fred Astaire's of the world, and mm-hmm. we have the Ida Rolfs and the Gene Kellys, mm-hmm. who are just more oriented to feeling their weight and their sense of grounding. Mm-hmm. So I feel like having both approaches gives me an entryway into people who tend to sense themselves in the world differently. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Very, very nice. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to add before we, we uh, bring this to an end? Oh, I don't, I'm, I'm sure that we could talk for, <laughs> for 45 more minutes. Um, I think we've kind of covered yeah. the basics uh, of the distinction between Rolfing and Alexander and the, and the, and the overlap. 
So often my introduction to people when they come into my office is I tell them we are going to work on two things that are going to seem totally obvious when I say them, mm-hmm. is that we rest on the ground mm-hmm. and we extend upwards towards the sky. And we all interfere with at least one of those. Mm-hmm. And so I am interested in having us approach activity in the world by letting ourselves rest and letting ourselves extend into our length at the same time. Wow. I think that's a great place to, to, to uh, end our conversation. What do you think? That sounds that good. That sounds great. Um, my, uh, my guest today has been uh, Rebecca Lisak, who is an Alexander teacher and a, and a rolfer in the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area. If um, anything we've talked about uh, intrigues you and you're in, you live in that area, we'll put a link to her website by the interview. We'll also put a link to a site that will enable you to find an Alexander teacher anywhere in the world. And I assume that the Rolf Institute has something similar for Rolfers. Is that right? Correct. Rolf.org. Well, we'll put a link to that too. So you can find a Rolfer. You can find an Alexander technique teacher. My guess is if you want them both in one person, Rebecca it may be one of the few people to go to for that. So if you live in the Philadelphia area, uh, definitely uh, contact her. Rebecca, thank you so much for being on the show. Great. Thank you so much, Robert.